Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Hello and welcome to Movies vs. Capitalism, an anti-capitalist movie podcast. I am Frank Capello. And I'm Rivka Rivera. Hey, Frank. What's up? Not much, Rivka. Uh, you're recording live from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania live. right now, yep. um, where we went to college together. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are you... What are you doing in Pittsburgh? Just got nostalgic? Wanted to go hang out for a little bit? I just felt like, let me get myself in the Garden Inn and just hang out on Forbes Avenue. (laughs) Um, I'm here. It's really awesome. There was a grant opportunity that I applied for to work on a play that I've been writing. And I'm here with a director, a set designer, producer, sound designer, and... Yeah, it's actually really, in the context of anti-capitalism, what's great about it is that there is no actual, like, you have to have this accomplished in order to, like, fulfill the needs of said grant. It's literally, hey, here's the resources to explore um, design elements, of your, which is rarely, you rarely, in creating a play, have the opportunity to explore. There's a lot for exploring the text and you know, as you're writing and work with actors, but not design. So because you really need means of production for that, which mm-hmm. Carnegie Mellon has beautiful space for that. So it's a pretty amazing. Um, it's first year of it that they're doing it. And it's a pretty amazing initiative that they have. And I feel really, really grateful um, and lucky that, yeah, they said yes to our project. And so we're here doing that exploring and it's like wild abundance and it is sometimes really hard to just to be like wow you just get the time and space to be creative and explore which is so rare and i will say very well deserved i have seen uh several readings of your play it is uh, it's a beautiful beautiful play and it's extremely moving and relevant and uh personal and yeah, so I'm not surprised that Thank they said you. yes. Yeah, um, and I'm am excited that you're getting the opportunity to develop develop it more. It is, yeah, it's very very well deserved. Cool, and I get to be here where like I haven't been here since I graduated a long time ago, and it is one of those weird <laughs> things. I don't know if this happens to anyone listening, but when you're in a space that you haven't been for for a long time, but have so many memories in, everything feels like smaller. Then I remember just everything felt so like such greater mm. distance between places and like bigger in when and I don't know if that's because I was younger. It wasn't smaller in stature, but like I was just like everything feels like, oh, this is much smaller and closer. Or then you'll also end up in a place and be like, I have not thought of this hallway and now all these memories are flooding back or I haven't thought of this store and it's like it's still here. There's a lot. It's a lot that's missing that has closed, but there's a lot that's still here. So that's a nice thing. I feel like going back to New York, there will be things missing from my block just leaving for two weeks. So, And we should say Pittsburgh, a, a absolutely wonderful city. I loved being in Pittsburgh for college. And yeah, if you've never, never visited Pittsburgh, definitely the superior of the Pennsylvania cities, in my opinion. No. Sorry, Philly. <laughs> um, so we are... Today, doing something a little bit different than we normally do. Um, instead of talking about a movie, we are going to be talking about the series finale of Succession. Yeah, this is something that we had talked about uh, for a little bit. You know, 
Succession is a very important show to us. It is very cinematic in a lot of ways. And also we want to be able to, you know, break the format uh, here and there. And, you know, it doesn't always have to be movies. Um, I guess this is technically TV versus capitalism. But uh, the last thing we wanted to mention up top, a little bit of housekeeping, is that uh, we're going to be taking the next two weeks off uh, of releasing this podcast. So after this succession episode comes out, two weeks, no episodes, and then we'll be back. You know, as we mentioned, Rivka is uh, working on her play in Pittsburgh. I am actually about to leave the country next week for a little trip with my partner. Mm. Um, mm. So, yeah, so we just, you know, rather than rather than kill ourselves to, you know, crank out some episodes while we're gone, we were just like, you know, what, let's just let's just take a break. Give everyone everyone a chance to catch up on those episodes you missed out. Yeah. Oh, it's funny. We we did a uh, a meeting with some of the Lever subscribers, and someone actually gave us the note of movies versus capitalism needs to put out less episodes because I can't watch the movies that fast, mm. uh, which I thought was a very sweet sentiment. And also, I was like, yes, I feel seen. It is we are watching a lot of movies. Yeah, it's a lot of movies to watch. You don't you don't have to like listen as as we go, but I appreciate that. Thank you, caller subscriber. <laughs> Now's your chance to catch up. Um, so we'll be back in a few weeks after this one. So we're going to get to our conversation on succession. But before we do, we just want to let you know that this podcast is produced by the two of us. Yes, we perform all of the necessary labor to make this show happen. And as we are trying to practice our anti-capitalist values, we don't sell ads on this show. Instead, we rely completely on community support to keep the show going. So if you're able to support us, please consider subscribing to our Patreon. For just $5 a month, you get access to our entire back catalog of premium episodes, and you will be directly supporting this show. You could also leave us a one-time contribution in our tip jar, and you can find all of those links in the episode description in your podcast player or by going to mvcpod.com. You can also help us out for free by leaving a rating and review for this show on your podcast app. It takes two seconds, and it's super helpful in boosting the algorithm and getting this show in front of more people, and we really appreciate it. We're going to take a break, but we'll be right back with our conversation about succession. All right. We are very excited today to be joined by Mr. David Sirota, founder of The Lever, a reader-supported investigative news outlet, which uh, produces this podcast. David, welcome to, I guess this is TV versus capitalism today. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, I like to think that the lever is one small example of not being Waystar Royco. <laughs> yes, I can attest from uh, you know be being internal at the lever that we do not have any of the uh, the corporate dynamics of Waystar Royco. Wait, Frank, you're not David's son. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. He's not. He's not grooming me for leadership position. And then how disappointing. <laughs> dangling it away from me every every few months is just like i don't know i don't know if you've got the chops for the top job well david we wanted to have you on because you know uh you and i have talked about succession for the last year riff can i talk about it and we just really it, like this is it feels momentous that this this show has now ended because it was a very um big part of all of our lives for the last several years and it really feels sort of like the i don't know the the last of the prestige shows of like the the 2000s era like you know i mean we're going back now but like you know the mad men's the 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 game mm -hmm. of thrones the breaking bads it feels like su succession ending is us sort of saying goodbye to to that era 
um, of TV. So Ooh, I'm just I curious was already depressed there. about it, Frank, but that's the, when you put <laughs> it like that. <laughs> well, well, what is the show meant to both of you? Rivka, you could you could start. Uh, what is this meant to me? Well, it, it, yeah, I mean, I think it just I think you just nailed it that it's it was so good. It just was so consistently good through a lot of not great stuff that you could just count on this to be great TV, great storytelling. Uh, yeah, I'm sad. I'm sad that it's over. I'm glad we're getting into the discussion of this episode because I thought it was just like great all the way through. And I'm I, I'm I'm looking forward to starting from the top because I'm like, well, guess I'll just have to start over. I think my big the big thing I love the most about Succession was just like how how incredible the character development for all of these characters were while never losing the big picture message that like life under capitalism when you are this family it's not what they paint the picture to be like there there's never a moment that you watched in this entire series for me where I was like that looks sexy I want to be there like they actually <laughs> destroy the fantasy of like even the yacht when they do that and like think that was the last season and then in this episode um when they're in the tropics you're like god they really can make that look not a place i want to go where like most of television even when i think they're critiquing like rich and powerful you're like i get it that they're evil but like that looks so fun like they all look so great like no one's ever wearing anything in this that i'm like i wish i owned that outfit even <laughs> or like i wish i was at vacationing there they just it's perfect that they find a way that you're all the way through to the end when you're like, I would never want to be anyone here. They're so unhappy. It seems like an absolute nightmare. And I just I think that's part of the brilliance. David, how about you? What is this series meant to you? And, and how do you feel now that it has ended? So a little bit of a personal story. Uh, this series started with um, for me uh, on election night 2016 when I spent election night with some of the cast. Uh, oh, right. when they wow. were table reading the show, I, they had a election night party at Adam McKay's place, uh, that he was staying at in, in New York. Uh, and it had, it obviously hadn't been on the air. It, I didn't know much about the show. Uh, and so watching the episode with the presidential election night was like, so kind of surreal. Cause those are the people that I spent that night with. And of course that Damn. episode, I think brought back a lot of memories of the, Trump 2016 uh, night. I, I think I think a lot about this show about what is not in this show and about how that send how that I think accurately represents um, a kind of deep critique of what you're watching. So, have you noticed that there's no there are no working class people in this show at all? Like they they basically don't exist. The closest oh, yeah. thing you get to a working class person is is like. Logan's guard that that guy I guess is like sort of presumably semi working classish or at least in like a working classish job like security guard sort of semi cop guy but th there really are like the public is not anywhere to be found in the the general public is not anywhere to be found in this series at all and I, and I actually think that the meta message of that is that these oligarchs really do operate inside of a hermetically sealed bubble uh, in which they don't feel accountable to, they don't feel in touch with, they don't feel any relationship with uh, the mass public 
that of course their entire business is predicated on manipulating and making money off of. So I, I do think that that that's not a critique of the writers for not writing that in. It's actually a kudos to the writers for, in my view, accurately representing this hermetically sealed world, uh, which I think then explains so much of the plot, so many of the different storylines uh, that we as an audience can kind of laugh at, scoff at, uh, take meaning from because we're getting a glimpse into that world. And, and I think that that's really the magic of this show is that there is this really deep and biting critique of that world by accurately representing what it is, who's allowed in it, and who isn't. That's such a good point, because every single aspect of the show feels intentional. Like how you said, it, it doesn't feel like a, like a, a forgotten omission from the writers. It's completely intentional that there are no working-class characters in this show. And it's it's jarring how in... You know, like the uh, penultimate e episode when Roman goes into a crowd of protesters, <laughs> yeah. it feels it feels like a real deviation from what we've been watching for yes. four years. You're like, yes. oh, I've, I, I literally have never seen one of these characters like enter a throng of regular people. And, and by the way, you know, as I half jokingly tweeted uh, on social media, uh, the real hero of succession is the one guy who elbowed Roman in the face for like one second. <laughs> like, did you notice like the first time there's like a real working class, regular person in an environment not controlled by the Roy's, a.k.a. not a not a like a like a servant or something like the one the first second that that Roman or a, a Roy is in that environment. Bam gets like not slapped across the face, uh, and, and I think I I frankly think that's like an Easter egg. I think they put that in there to Absolutely. sort of. To, I mean, I, just as sort of. I mean, and, and I think a lot of people probably watch that and were like, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not mad at that guy for throwing an elbow in Roman's face. Roman's a kind of a, a dirtbag piece of shit, you know, and like mm. finally at least somebody sort of sort of did that. Well, it's so it's so brilliant because nothing nothing that they put in there is like superfluous, like you're saying, or doesn't it? That totally is what breaks Roman open into sort of recognizing like we're all bullshit. And from that moment forward, it's almost like the inevitable truth is they have nowhere to go but sort of like fizzle out when they once Roman sort of recognizes the bullshit of their reality like that hit penetrates into this bubble and he's literally has this bleeding scar on his face and he knows that like that wound closing there's almost that amazing moment where he's upset that it's closing so well and then that really incredible moment where his brother presses the wound back open. But I mean, the fact that it's connected to that touching with the real world, with the people, with the working classes, like once that happens, we're off to the races and it, and it can't go anywhere but their demise, really. And by the way, that, that breakdown where he said we're all bullshit, you know, I was watching it and I at first and I asked my wife this, I was like, are they is he saying like we the kids are bullshit? Because I actually thought he was saying something bigger. I thought he was saying, like, this entire business endeavor yes. is bullshit. Like, all of this is yes. bullshit. Like, that's what I took What our entire company does is bullshit. And which, by the way, is an echo of what he said on election night, where he said none of this really matters. Like, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. Like, nothing really matters. And I, I kind of think, like, he had kind of a breakdown or a, a realization of real life. Now, I think what was a little bit, maybe not weird about it, but like, 
the dad was a piece of shit to all of them, right? Like this, 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 I mean, this expression of love for him, it didn't feel inauthentic because I think you can have love for a father who's a piece of shit and like fucks you up. Like, I think that's like a, like a thing. It doesn't mean like, you know, if a, if a parent is a, is a bad parent, it, it doesn't necessarily mean the kids don't, don't love them. In fact, I think the way Logan treated these kids was, it was obviously an, like a, an incredibly abusive relationship. Uh, but I think the death sort of brought out in Roman a realization that the entire thing that they're aspiring for and focused on and the entire series is about, aka the succession, the business, that he has this realization that it's like it's all a bunch of nonsense. It's all it's all horseshit. Well, they were left with nothing after Logan died. I don't mean nothing like in a material sense. They were left with billions and billions of dollars. <laughs> I mean that once Logan was out of the picture, there was there was no one and nothing to hang their hat on. They yeah. they they purely had to uh, operate as much as you as much as you can for being you know uh, the scions of a media dynasty. They had to operate on their own with their you know with their own. Uh, yeah, they had to make their own way. So I think. Each of them, this the, the the tail end of this final season was each of them discovering how inept and unqualified they are to operate in this world. And I mean, I think what Logan says to them in at the, at the karaoke bar the last time they see him alive, when he says, "You're not serious people." I mean, we've known that since you know, if anyone who's been watching the show closely, we've known that about these characters, but. Uh, the final half of the season was really demonstrating how unserious they are. Yeah, although I got to take it, I, I do have to take issue with Roman or Logan in this way. I don't think, for instance, Kendall or Shiv are any less serious than he is mm -hmm. or any less serious than Tom is, right? I mean, maybe you could argue, look, Logan built it from the ground up. You know, fine. Uh, so he, you know, th that's real experience building something from the ground up. But like, Tom is more serious than Kendall. Like, I don't, I don't buy that. Like, Tom is like a corporate lackey. In fact, Tom reassures uh, 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 that's the Swedish guy. He reassures him. Yeah, I'm a complete corporate, like nothing. I'm like a like a like an automaton. I'm a robot. Right. Like, I, I don't think that these characters are like any more bullshit than Greg or any more bullshit than anybody else in the entire Waystar Royco world that we've bumped into. Right. Like, like, like I do get that, the, that, that there's something pro problematic with giant corporations being run like monarchies with, with a dynastic monarchy controlling, you know, billions and billions of dollars. But, but I also think like everyone in this show is bullshit. Like who's not a bullshit person uh, in in these cat what the CIO I mean he's a complete joke right I mean like like Frank I guess is kind of an adult voice sort of uh, uh, Jerry I guess is like an adult lawyer ish voice but she's she's no less uh, uh, of a corporate automaton than Tom right like like all like and I think that's actually there again to go to meta messages uh, I think that's what this is saying like everybody in these worlds are first and foremost, transactional. Uh, they are about following money, following power, no, no matter where money and power lead. That their politics, if they have any, are simply a coincidence uh, for uh, the, the transaction. And I think that is an honest, 
uh, uh, view of this. But I also think that's what makes this show deeply like, like if you really think about it, it's like really, really, really dark. I mean, that is a really, really dark view of humanity. And I think like the end of the show, the reason I was depressed, I wasn't depressed because like Kendall's out in a park, you know, looking out at the water <laughs> or like, you know, Shiv is, you know, rolling home with her CEO husband, who's actually just a complete tool. And she's got $900 million in the bank. I'm not feeling bad for them. I'm like, I'm sort of like looking at it like, wow, this, this view of humanity uh, is incredibly honest, incredibly real and incredibly, incredibly without uh, uh, anything redeeming at all. Absolutely. I wanted to hit the point because you brought it up about Tom's moment, which I thought was brilliant, where he's asked to sing for his supper and basically say, like, what's your, what do you bring to the table? What's your value with the dinner scene with <laughs> Lucas? And, right. you know, I just think he's so good. He's been so good, but he really owns it this season where he's just... You know, he says, I'm cutting heads and harvesting eyeballs. He's just cold, callous capitalism because he's not part of this, you know, the siblings. And there's no there's none of the family bullshit. He can we really see, like you were saying, this truth through his eyes. And he just he performs it so like just. Although I don't you think like he would say anything in that moment that he thought would impress. And that's his his thing. Absolutely. I think he would say, I think that's his thing for sure. But I think it's true. Like if he thought saying, I'm actually investing, I'm doing better sure. journalism, I'm doing, if he thought that would impress Lucas, he would have said that. Like, it, like nothing that comes from him seems authentic at all, which actually makes me question, even in his fights with Shiv, like behind, when he's not sort of performing, mm. Is anything authentic? Like, is literentally anything that comes out of this guy's mouth authentic? Like, does does he like who is this? Well, I like, think the actions that we've seen him take are authentic. If you want to ask me which character on this show could end up being a serial killer, it would be like Tom. Like Tom, yeah. like definite potential to be a serial killer. Yeah, but I and I think yes, he says anything that he wants, but like his actions in that moment, I was like, this is us seeing this cold hard because if this episode is has a theme of like Roman like the bullshit being revealed, there was something so like I felt that this was maybe like yes, he's a character who will say anything, but there was something dramaturgically like accurate about like this is him just being like this is the fucking truth because there is a moment of like, I will. And when he says this line, um, particularly about the media and being in the role that he's in, like, you know, I don't think it's my place to offer dietary advice. If they want red meat and boiling tar, bon appetito, <laughs> you know, I mean, I loved it, but I yeah. just, I think it was just to see him then sit across, you know, and then even more important then he goes into, okay, that's who you are business wise. Who are you really? And I think he was, I took it as totally fucking honest and, depressing as fuck because he says i'm a grinder um i worry about everything and then he goes into this sort of monologue about how deeply he worries and i think if anything that was totally fucking honest on on who we've known tom to be that at the core this man does not sleep and it goes back to just like any kind of humanity these people maybe came in with like this company being in this world has completely destroyed like they are there's not a moment that they're happy or at peace and that was like that gave me shivers i mean that dude is the least sympathetic character in the whole show i mean i really hate Tom? him I, I, yeah he's the least oh wow. my god he's oh, like wow. absolutely the least sympathetic really character. oh my god 100 percent. i love tom so much more than any <laughs> of the tom. roy kids any of the roy kids 
I am I I would I have so much love in my heart for Tom. You're right. He's he's a cold calculating motherfucker and Rivka and to to both of your points about whether or not he's being honest to Matson in that moment. I mean, he says something like what he says is something that any uh like CEO or head of a company wants to hear, which is like I'm good at cutting costs and increasing mm. revenue. Like that is going to be true like no matter what Lucas wanted to hear, he wanted to hear that. And like cutting mm. heads, harvesting eyeballs, like at, at his heart, Tom is like, I am a money guy. I will make sure that the fucking money is coming in on time and that our margins are like, getting higher. Tom, and that just to be clear, is- we're on a show. We're on a show called Movies Versus Capitalism. And you're actually arguing that Tom is among the more sympathetic characters when Tom is literally the human personification of capitalism. I mean, he's like the he's like capitalism in human form. Like that's what he is. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, you're yes. right. And I'm trying, I'm trying to figure out how to square this contradiction in my head right now. <laughs> um, I just find Tom to be like on an emotional level, somewhat more honest, somewhat more in touch with himself in what he wants. I find that his, I have found that his love for Shiv has been very genuine. Um, I, I feel like he really does love this person, and has oh, been, interesting. And And we've watched him be hurt over and over and over again by her throughout the course of this series. Um, And he's also the only, I think he's the only person in the main circle that is not a Roy, that is not from the family. So there is, there is like, we know that he's from the Midwest there. And look, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to reinforce the self-made man like myth. I don't like, I don't (laughs) believe in that. I I think it's bullshit, but I don't know. There's something about this dude, this, like this, this dude who came from the Midwest who like found himself in this world that I, I don't know. It, maybe it's like, I, I just gravitate towards the outsider or the underdog, but, and also I think Matthew McFadden is like so funny and so endearing. And like, I think oh, he's per- a great actor. I think yeah, his performance is like unbelievable. Um, so it's a swirl of things. I he think brings that's why this so show much is so complicated charm. because the, the other thing, David, is that every single one of these characters is if you met them, you'd be like, that's the worst person I've ever met in my life. Every single one of them. And like each one of them is worse than the other. So it's like, but but that's why this show is so amazing because they've somehow found a way to make them sympathetic. I just have to say, Frank, because this is what messed me up a little bit and I thought was great, like a great... This, I was like, oh, I thought he loved... Like he... I was convinced by the end of this last episode that I'm like, he's hated her the whole time. He fucking hates her. He hates her. He's never loved Shiv. Okay. That was what I got at the end. And and that fucked me up because I actually was like, I thought he did. And and then I was like, these two hate each other. He has like such a deep. Yeah. Like I, I've always been that? teamed. Um, well, I think being able to sit across from <laughs> Matson. I mean, the many things he's done, like I guess where he left when he betrayed her, when he betrayed her with her father, like the end of last season, but then um when he I, it was sitting across from Matson, just saying the most dis, like the way they hit that misogyny and the things he was saying about, you know, better to have the man who put the baby in her than the baby lady and him just being able to sit across and say, like, yes, I'll take the crown. Um, I don't think, you know, I think I think the message I got was like he might think he loves her, but like there is no love in this world. Again, they do it so well that you're like, there's no love in this world of extreme world of cap for these people right but tom but tom let's just stay on tom for a second because tom is either a stand-in for capitalism or he is a stand-in for how kind of uh the regular uh uh 
workaday, ordinary American striver can be sucked into this world of worshiping and doing literally anything in service of oligarchy. Right. I mean, that is mm. that, that is Tom's story. 100%. Like, like, like now maybe that's a story that's a sad story because that's the way the system is set up. And if you want to succeed, uh, then those are the choices you have to make. But like I kind of reject that a a as a life choice. Like I think we live in a country and a society that says that Tom's path is a fine path uh, where you can get social stature, not only riches, but social stature. You can, uh, you know, you're 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 a pillar of, the, uh, if not the community, you're you're seen as a, like a legit person. That path is like a a venerated path in our society, and to see it, to watch it in this show, I find it like grotesque. Like I hate this guy. It's one thing to be born to Logan, who's like an awful person. You can't choose who you're born to, right? And then Logan like screw like messes you up, like just makes you a complete monstrous freakish. You don't know what you want. You're like chasing fatherly, uh, you know, love from the dad that he won't give to you. Like th that's actually not Shiv, Rome, Roman and, and Kendall's choice. Like that happened to them. Right. And, and like Tom is the guy who like makes the choice to want to be in this world and do whatever he can to advance all the way to the top of this world, showing absolutely no morals at all. Like there's never one moment where he's like, I have to make a moral choice uh, that's about something greater than myself. And like, I get that that happens all the time in our society, but it's gross. Like it's disgusting. Like I can't, it's hard to watch. Look, I totally agree with everything you're saying about, like, <laughs> Tom, his choices, and him as a character. Again, like, I think every single one of these people are some of the worst people on planet Earth. I guess I'm just, like, uh, from a narrative, dramatic perspective, I am more compelled by Tom as a character than the three fail children. Does that make sense? Just, like, I'm, I'm more personally compelled by watching someone who uh, has really no stake in this and rather than these people who had everything handed to them and are are, are fucking it up e despite having everything handed to them i mean i found kendall to be a, a somewhat sympathetic character in that he doesn't he, he struggles he he's mindful of his struggle that he doesn't know exactly what he wants he knows he's sort of all over the place you know roman does the pre-grieving and pretends he knows what he's about and then he cracks because he's like clearly it's like all bolted up inside and you can't express it. Uh, and Shiv, I think, I mean, I, I don't have no sympathy for her, but like she, she's done so many awful things and behaved in such awful ways that like it's, it's really hard to like her a lot. But Kendall, I feel like, you know, I, as I, I actually said this to my wife, I was like, I think Kendall's the only one who ever actually in a real way tried to lead a fight against his father. Right. I mean, like Shiv joined in in season. What was it? Three, when Tom betrayed her, was it season three or season four? Mm -hmm. The end of season three. Right. But like 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 uh, Kendall went at his dad, did that press conference, did the whole, you know, the, the like he went at his father. And like I find that I don't know if I call it sympathetic, but like, hey, like at least he saw that his father was a monster and was like, you know what? 
I, I, like, fuck this guy. Like, like I'm going to go up against him. Now, I mean, he got, you know, you, you, you come for the king, you best not miss. And, and he missed. Uh, and like, that sucks for him. But like, I can admire that like a little bit, right? Like he, 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 he went after the really, really bad guy, you know, like, uh, like, uh, okay, you get a couple points for that. Yeah, I find him the least sympathetic, but that's just like on a per- that's Ooh. just like the character level. I just could not get down with Kendall Roy. And I think it's really interesting because I'm wondering like the whole the whole episode. I'm like, are they going to ever address that this man murdered someone? And I was really grateful they did. And the way it came out was so good. And <laughs> they're just in that final. Oh, wait, they- let's ref- ref- refresh my memory. He didn't act. Let's let's be let's be precise. He let's didn't murder the guy. This is a journalistic. Uh, like he didn't in, in yes, murder yes, the guy. Let's be- he like chapaquitic the guy, right? Like the like like it was like they drove up. He didn't rescue the guy. Yeah, he was, he was present. present for the death. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and then it was the like covered up. So- die. Yeah. Although I don't think he like let him die either. Like if he, he listen, he didn't try to dive. I mean, like you if know. you're if you go off a bridge into water and somebody like gets trapped in the car and dies, like I mean that's not great. But like it's not if you can't get him out, like. I, I can't believe I'm I mean, defending Kendall Roy. And by the way, yeah. I don't want to hang out with Kendall Roy. Like, I'm not interested in hanging out with Kendall Roy. I don't think Kendall Roy is like a hero. Kendall's but, definitely the worst hang of everybody. Like, oh, no, totally. Le- he's the he'd least be so annoying. Sure. Absolutely. He, I don't want to hang out with that guy. No. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, for the record, David is not defending Kendall Roy. <laughs> no. Like, but like, the only time Kendall was like, I, I, maybe not the only time. Like, the worst moment for me for Kendall was when he walked into that startup and mowed everybody down. Remember that? That was, was that season oh, two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was really some brutal shit right there. That Which was, was wit- that? like, yeah. Logan sends him in to basically shutter Valter, the, the uh, like the Gawker uh, analog that they bought. And, yeah, but he yeah. like does it in a really ruthless way where he has like them do extra work and like give them a bunch of ideas. And then yeah, he like stops yeah. them from unionizing. It's, it's really like yeah. ruthless. And at the end, at the end, Rob Yang is like, why did you do this? And he's like, because my dad told me to. Right, and he spit at, it, and he spit in his face. Right, it was, it was, it was. Yeah, I mean, like, Kendall's not a good guy. Like, I'm not. I, I just think, like, yeah, yeah. You know, like he, like I, I guess I could sympathize a little bit with the fact that he was so clearly like struggling all the time. Like Roman tried to put up the and Shiv tried to put up this like this like wall. Like I'm chill. Like I got it. Like I'm all. And like Kendall's the only one who's like, dude, you definitely don't got it. Like you, the, you're definitely like messed up. And like you're you're like you're you do not have your shit together. And at least I can like sort of sympathize with that because a lot of times I don't feel like I got my own shit together. Right. It make, it humanized it. it made it more human. Is I guess I what think I'm for saying. all of them, the thing that the writing does really well is like never lets you forget that these are stunted children, that this is yes. at the end of the day. Yes. And and in this last episode where they have the meal fit for a king, you know, the way they're psychologically going to get past that they're going to anoint Kendall is they're going to do this, which I used to do this as a kid. I loved this scene. They're going to make him a meal fit for a king where they take everything from the fridge, throw it in a blender, and they're having so much fun doing it, which is, again, just like, this is so how they relate to this very, very, like, world-changing business they are in is like kids, you know? Okay, the rules have changed. Okay, you won this game, but, like, who's going to win the next game? And it ultimately comes down to that. Kendall basically... You know, if you follow it out, he basically throws the presidential election to 
a fascist because he's annoyed that his sister lied to him, right? I mean, like, like th- this is this is how these people operate. It is very childish. Uh, can we get into the 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 decision and from Shiv to Shiv? Yes, mm-hmm. yes, Kendall. Yes, I, because you, uh, you're talking about the end and the board. The very end. Yeah, yeah. Shiv's decision to Shiv. Here's the here's the part I don't really understand, which is that. Shiv does seem to hate Tom. I don't think there's a lot of love from Shiv to Tom. So Shiv knows that she's going to uh, help Tom. Uh, I don't really fully understand her, like, hatred of Kendall. Like, I I get that, like, Kendall's annoying, but, like, I don't get that. And she, like, so one interpretation I saw was, like, this was her way to get the company just out of their lives. Like, but I don't buy that doesn't that doesn't track mm. with with who she like. I just want to get this out of our family. It's better for us. like no like that. I don't think that. So like, why did she do that? Like I don't I don't fully get. I it. thought I thought it really tracked in terms of her the the way they were talking about her role as a woman amongst all these men, and the sense that she she talked about her the trajectory of they they took the crown from her like clearly if her brothers were in power like they just did not give a fuck we saw that so that's why she felt she had to go with Matson Matson demoralizes her you know they're like you're the baby lady now i think she just kind of was like where can i still be in the most proximity to power and ultimately that's going to be next to tom you know and maybe we can make this we she they even reference lady macbeth and she's like maybe we can make this weird macbeth thing work i think it's depressing but that was the logic that i tracked i think last minute like, she was right just after like right after matson threw her overboard i'm saying like like matson had just betrayed her but so did her brothers her brothers just betrayed her previously i think she's just been like where do i where do i maybe get some crumbs i thought it was a brilliant line from her when they're in barbados and they're still first debating it and she said she says to them she's like you guys became ceos you boxed me out you cut me out so why am i she's like why am i the cunt for doing this now and it, i think that's like it that perfectly summated like the double standard that she's been living through this entire series and rivka i agree with you i think it was like i think in the moment she was making that decision proximity to power um, like Kendall has already fucked her. Yes, Tom has, you know, has fucked her over, but he is her husband. She is, he is the father of her child. Um, also upon rewatching it a second time, I watched it today to, to prep for this. Um, Kendall really shoots himself in the foot when they get to Waystar for the board meeting and he sits behind the desk. Oh yeah. And he puts his feet and he puts his feet up on mm-hmm. the desk and he starts yeah. talking to Stewie like like that like like the asshole that he is like come on man like what are you doing you're not you're pancakes and waffles like that whole thing I sh- and there's a couple of cutaways to Shiv watching him assume power and become this guy become the guy that he like their father the worst version of Kendall like foot yeah well not yeah even I mean I'll, I'll grant you that Kendall really played his politics terribly with his sister like with he both of re- them. With both of them. He really could have brought her in and like, you know, when they were co-CEO, he re- like he just played his politics moronically. Uh, and, you know, but I just like, I look, I know it's a TV show, but like you just got betrayed by a an alliance between Matson and your husband. And you're going to go into a board meeting 
and give the company to those two as a reward and not to your brothers. I mean, that's that's really fucked up. Like that is some real messed See, up. Shit I right think there. it makes like, so much sense because I just think that they have fucked her over so many times that she doesn't they don't she doesn't they don't nobody here deserves her loyalty at this point. And she's been truly treated, I think, in that respect. So I, I don't see them as fucking her over more. But Tom and also, was also the one who betrayed her with Logan. Like she's rewarding Tom. See, I don't think she's rewarding Tom. This is what I loved. And like the dialogue when they get in the limo is brilliant, too. He says she's like, Congra- congratulations. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. And that's it. And then puts his open hand out and they barely touch hands. And I just think they've decided a long time ago that like they are so whatever crumbs that they can get, they will get. And they've just like at this point, they're like, there's no love. There's nothing. I just think it tra- I think it tragically like that made sense to me is like the inevitable end. They're going to come back together. They're going to have a child that's fucked up being born into this really fucked up, sad. <laughs> like, can you imagine? But like that's going to happen. She also is carrying his child, you know. I really want to see Succession, like the the movie version of Succession where Lucas Matson comes in and just fires all of them. And just like, I mean, because yeah. I actually found Lucas Matson to be, I, I mean, I don't know what this says about me. I found weirdly Matson and uh, Jared Mankin to be two actually appealing characters in a bizarre, dark way. I, I, and I think this was intentional. Uh, I, I think Matson as sort of like, I don't care about your dynastic bullshit. Like, I mean, he's a terrible person with women and all that stuff. But like his like, I, I don't take you all seriously just because you're Ken, you're the Roy family. Like, I appreciated that. Like, I appreciated that he sort of d- didn't bend the knee to this di- dynastic sort of thing. And and I like the, the Roy's almost never experienced people who were like, yeah, I'm not going to bend the knee, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I guess Stewie, uh, Stewie sort of at times and and Matson, Jared Mankin, this is really interesting. They do not show him being a fascist almost at all. There's all the references to assuming he's a fascist, like he's a fascist, like, oh yeah, he's the fascist. He's the fascist, like he's the right wing fascist. But you don't actually see him do anything or even give a speech being overtly fascist. I mean, I don't think there's uh, somebody mentioned that maybe some some brief point back in like season three or two, he sort of but but you don't actually see him be. A, and, and I think this is deliberate because I think it sort of explains to how somebody like that could rise to power. Right. That like. There's some sort of deliberate, like, if you ask yourself, like, why do you hate Jared Mankin? Ask yourself, like, why? Why do you hate him? Like, because he's referred to as a fascist. You, you haven't actually seen him do anything fascist or advocate for fascism. Now, let's presume that he is a fascist. OK, let's like presume the story's assumptions are, are, are true. It, it is a really good depiction of how a smart fascist a smart, charismatic, uh, seemingly telegenic, uh, 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 you know, uh, younger sort of non-Trumpy fascist could rise to power. Uh, and, and I think that like that's actually I said to I had Frank Rich on our podcast and I said to Frank Rich, I said, listen, I think one of the liberal vanities of this show and I love this show. I don't mean it in an insult, but it's like if you actually had a Jared Mankin, like and I don't think the election would be close. 
I think I think a Jared Mankin who could actually present like that could win 400 electoral votes. Like I think I think the the liberal vanity of the show is like, oh, it was a close election. I'm like this guy who's promising to clean house, who's charismatic, who's younger, who's like like that's a that's like a terrifying depiction because that really could win 400 votes. Yeah. And I think I think I agree with everything you're saying. I think there was intentional of the show to not show him being like, hey, we got to get more white people in there. But he did have the victory speech where he says, don't we want something pure and right. clean? So like those are those like white supremacist dog whistles that we would hear from the sophisticated fascists. So yes. I think you're, I think you're right. And I think I think why that appeal from both like the Matson and the Mencken character and the thing that like I think Roman or the thing I think Logan was trying to say when he said you're not serious is that Matson and Mencken have like a savviness about them. They like they understand they know how to like read the temperature. They know how to employ their charm when they need to. They know how to be scary when they need to, just like Logan did. Like as much as we'll remember Brian Cox's performance for like fuck off and like being really angry, there's a number of scenes where he has to use the honeypot, you know, there's a mm-hmm. number of scenes where he oh, yeah. needs to coax someone and he gets really sweet and he gets really warm. And I think that that level of savviness is the thing that the three kids don't have. They they do at times, they do in moments, but it's not something that they have consistently. And I think like Kendall, I mean, just to get back to Kendall and, and the blow up in the in the conference room, I mean, there was maybe a chance for him to change Shiv's mind. You know, maybe Shiv was on the fence. She's like, I don't know. Like, this is, uh, I just want, I think what she says is true. Like, I love you, but I cannot stomach you. And I think just like her, her seeing him just for a moment as the CEO, she was like, oh, that's right. This is what this is going to fucking be. Whereas she knows what she's getting with Tom in the job. And I think there was maybe a moment that they could have changed her mind, but then just he unravels. He completely loses. He starts right. He's not he still enough. He's not he's, under he's control not, enough. He's not under control, and he's demonstrating how unserious and how ill-equipped he is. He starts screaming at her. Him and Roman get into a full-on physical fight uh, to, to try to stop. Well, that was her. about. Like, well, by the way, that was about Roman like dropping some insult about his adopted kids, right? Like, was that was yes, that what it was yes. about? Like, he just like lost his shit, man. A brutal <laughs> like, insult, and then oh, and then the moment when Shiv brings up the fact that Kendall killed someone, and and then he just like flip. I think she like, calls it times. a murder. But the fact that he just can't be honest with them in this moment, he's like, no, that didn't happen. I mean, it did. Like, I was right, there, but right. like, I wasn't. And they're like, and by the way, like, can we, can we we haven't talked about like. I think Tom is the the character I'd like to get into a fist fight with, but um, uh, uh, yeah, but Greg, can we talk about Greg for a second and how awful he is? I mean, he's just so, <laughs> what I, what I love about Greg's arc is like at the first, at the beginning of the show, you're like, oh, I, you're like, I'm into Greg, like Greg, Greg's Greg's my eyes, right? Like Greg is mm-hmm. the audience. He's the audience. You're like, he's the avatar. He's, yeah, yeah. He's like the audience. You know, it's like this re- idiot kid who's like, you know, sort of, and he he just turns into so, he, like a like a sh- like a shell of a human like a like just this not even a shell of it just like this horrible person who like has no loyalty to anything and like no like is there one redeeming like quality of i thought that there was a there was a whispered line that was so funny oh my god when uh, at the funeral where uh uh what's it uh ewan is a, you know stand the first they tell greg like your job is to make sure that ewan doesn't go up to the mic your grandfather and then ewan, like gets up <laughs> 
Right, right, right. Yeah, right, right. And then like Greg's like he tries to stop him, and then Ewan's like, "What kind of a what kind of people would would have the, the the you know the 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 dead guy's brother not talk?" Right. And then when Ewan after he like does that speech, you know Ewan by the way, love Ewan. Like Ewan, like big fist bump to Ewan. Like you know tried to keep it real. Uh, Ewan sits down, and you hear Greg go. He goes, "That that was good. That was good. That was a real hard take." You know, it's like yeah. like Greg has like no yes. compass at all. No, like, and it gets worse and worse. Worse and worse. Little it's stage so whisper. And he says it at the end when they're at the, and I love that. And I love how in this show, the most important lines are sometimes like throwaway lines where Matson's signing. They're like, okay, Jesus and his disciples. Oh, look, we even have Judas in the corner. And they're like, <laughs> so shoot the camera to him. It was, so it, it was so good. I mean, Greg is so horrible. And by the way, what's, what's sad about Greg being horrible is like you had hoped he, he, he might be like, one one person who would be less horrible but i don't know why not because well, he's, he's like the only a good one person, who starts but... okay he starts fresh he starts with you he starts as ewan's kid yeah and like actually he just ends up being like the worst like he he just but but actually it's it frankly it's it's almost a little bit like tom right like tom starts out he, he doesn't seem that horrible and like but in order to get ahead in order to succeed in that world you've just got to be more and more horrible like here's a here's an interesting question did anybody advance in this show who by not being horrible like did anybody get ahead by not being a horrible person no but there is an interesting moment with um kendall's assistant i can't remember her name but played by i think julian ken jess where Jess, I mean, I love that more. Jess was like, this is too much for fucking me, like after the election. And they yeah, just have yeah, that yeah. moment of like, is this really fucking happening? And just, I mean, what a great scene too, where she's tells him it's on his calendar. And he's like, what's this about? And she's like, well, I really wanted to wait till after the funeral. To, and oh, just tell me, tell me. And so she has to tell him and he's just like, great fucking timing. But like, I don't know. That was the one, there was one redeeming moment. Yeah, it was all about him. It was all about him, but I was like, there is something redeeming about her, at least by that point. I mean, like, hello. I, I don't know how, like, she should have known, but, like, she pulls out. They, I, it's the only redeeming thing I can think. No one gets ahead. No. Nobody gets ahead in this world, Mm-mm. in the world that they've mm-hmm. depicted, by, like, making, a, like, a moral choice at all. I mean, what the guy, uh, Adam Godley, uh, who played what, on election night. The like political expert. Oh, the, uh, decision desk Darwin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like he like tr- he he like momentarily was like, wait a minute, we can't do this. And they were like, yeah, shut up. Like you're gonna you're gonna do this. Like like he like tried to put his hand up like a little bit yeah. and then just got like steamrolled. Like oh no, not even steamrolled. They're like, but what if you went on TV? And he was like, it was like, oh, I could go on TV. Yeah, yeah. And, like <laughs> just like da- yeah, like it was all carrot. Uh, well, that's it, David. That's a good. We could pivot into like talking about like our big takeaways from this finale and from the series because i think that question like of has anyone advanced by being like a morally good character uh no is the answer definitively uh and i think that's one i think there are like a lot of themes that this show has really hit over and over but i think that is one of the biggest ones which is at least for me my interpretation the show is saying in order to operate in this world at this elite level with like on the corporate level that like Waystar Roy Coe like takes up in this fictional world. You have to basically be inhuman. You have to be broken. You have to be ruthless. You have to be willing to sacrifice to to kill. Uh, you need to be willing to like 
basically uh, get rid of everything about your humanity because that is the only way to survive in this world. Not only survive, but the only way to definitely the only way to advance and the only way to like level up is to again cut costs, increase revenue, roll heads, harvest eyeballs. Like that's at the end of the day, that's what all of these characters have to do in order to swim in these waters. And I feel like I feel like Jesse Armstrong and the writing staff has a, a clearly has a lot of uh disdain for this corporate world. Not just corporate media, but I think like, you know, the way that corporations are organized in this society. So that that's something that I think the show has always been trying to say. And I think it like really nailed it in this finale. Yeah. And the thing that's disturbing to me about the reaction to the show is that I think uh, the elite media obsession with it doesn't, doesn't acknowledge that can't not only doesn't acknowledge it, 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 it like, I don't understand. Like if you get what the show is saying and you are in elite corporate media and you like the show, like, like something doesn't, something doesn't make sense. Like, <laughs> so, like you either don't get the show, like you don't get it at all, or you don't somehow you don't think this is a critique of what it's a critique of. Like, I don't want to speak for Jesse Armstrong and the writers, but it's like so obvious what, you know, what they're grossed out, grossed out by. And like the, the sort of obsession among in particular elite media types legacy media types it's like it's 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 actually disturbing that those folks like this it's like it, it's don't you get it it's it's about you like you're you're what this thing hates don't you get it <laughs> like like I, I like it bothers me that you know as as and, and even today like you know we're talking today on the I said, you know, the, the the week of the the debt deal, right? Good good example. The week of the debt deal that's going to crush working class people, you know. And I saw a New York Times reporter tweeting out like, oh, you know, Memorial Day is always a con contentless day uh, in in the media world. Like people are just tweeting about succession uh, and they're not like doing anything. And I'm like, dude, you're you're like at the New York Times. You could like write a story about how the debt deal crushes, uh, uh, you know, working class people. And then I, I said, like, you know, Waystar Royco, if it was if it was a real company, would be telling its employees this week, yes, please tweet and write commentary about a prestige cable TV show and do not cover uh, the bill that protects billionaires and, you know, fleeces the working class. Right. Like mm. like like I guess what I'm saying is, is like I I. I the elite media response to this show, the enthusiasm for it, I, I think it, it kind of is this is gets to this meta level where it's like, I guess capitalism can assimilate anything, including anti-capitalism, right? Like, like the capital, like the Definitely. capitalist propaganda system is so powerful that it can honor and venerate a show that is designed to criticize and make you grossed out by the capitalist system like it's it's kind of incredible that's such a great point like like i i mean i like i'm not saying like I, i'm glad the show has gotten a great audience and good reviews in terms of its you know its execution and everything but i i am like it's like creeps me out that like the elite new york dc media loves this show it's like shit like i don't it's not good that you love this show i mean i think one of the one of the few things that 
Americans are still really good at is mental gymnastics. I think we are really we're we're great at finding a rationalization for the the most backwards ass shit. And I think pro- I would putting myself into the shoes of someone who works at like MSNBC and is watching <laughs> is watching Succession. I would imagine their view is, huh. That's a show about what I do, except it's about a dumb family in charge. Like that's you yeah. know this is like, this it's isn't about actually Fox. my world. It's not about us. And you're like, it's about all of yeah, you. It's not about us. Or then you're probably the, look. You're probably right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're probably at, right. And the people at Fox are like, well, that well, Rupert Murdoch is actually really smart, and his kids are good. Like or whatever, whatever their justification is. You're in you're, their you're mind. probably right. And I also think there's a it's, it, it it does feel incredibly. I don't think this is deliberate, but it feels especially sort of serendipitous or, or co- like special coincidence that this show came out and is now ending at a moment when Hollywood and the sort of corporate media world, that sort of blob of entertainment and corporate media seems to be embracing the zeitgeist, sort of enthusiastically embracing the zeitgeist of a Waystar Royco. I mean, we are at a moment now where, and I said this, I said, again, I said this on social media, like the owners of Waystar Royco would be the ones leading the fight to break a writer's strike, right? Like those would be the, like, you could imagine Kendall being like, we got to, you know, let's just hire the writers ourselves and like not have a union. And like, you could totally see, you know, Roman doing that. Well, on the eve of the, of the last episode, HBO Max, everyone's logging on and they're like, oh, this is Max, you know, and that's like not coincidental. You're like, suddenly it's Max and OK, but I'm going to watch the show. Right. It's so, very- so one of my one of my questions, one of my questions has been like, you know, we say, uh, look, there's going to be good TV. I don't think this is the end of like a like a good TV era necessarily, although crushing the writers actually it may end up being the, the but but. Forgetting about for a second the quality of writing any story. Like the question I have now is this show is ending at the very moment that corporate media and Hollywood, that blob, seems more wake Waystar Royco-ish than ever. Which raises the question, like, can a show about this kind of topic ever be made again or ever find a platform like this show found? And I think that's a much harder question to answer. There'll be good right. There'll be good TV shows. I don't know how many opportunities there are to make shows about Waystar Royco's at a moment when the media entertainment world has become more enthusiastically and proudly Waystar Royco's. It's a really good, really good point. Rivka, what's a great question? What what is the finale leaving you with? What is your takeaway from this from the end of this show and then the series as a whole? I I'm just I'm just kind of digesting and processing everything David just said and just like that's kind of I think now going to be what I'm left with just in the context of especially when you have a show that's that the period of time that this was over there were so many huge events that occurred and um yeah, and the there's a really great book called Elite Capture, which touches on all of this stuff about how capitalism can um, easily just uh, use anti-capitalism to sell more shit. And I mean, in that lens, it's potential that there's also the potential that they're like, let's keep making shows like this, but that are like not as substantive or or meaningful 
I think this, I want to rewatch this show. I think there's probably a lot that I missed in a first watch. And I think it's one of these shows that like deserves a second watch. That's kind of where I'm left with like, what can I, what being where I'm at now in 2023 than when I started, like, I think I'm, it's going to inform a lot about that journey and I can learn a lot about where we are today. I think it's one of those great pieces of art that like will be exciting for us to reflect on and um, allow us to see, learn something about where we are and learn something our, about ourselves in the context of where we are. And I think that's what great art does. So it, it's a gift in that sense. And I'm sad to see it go. I love that. Um, and it, it, I just rewatched the, se- the entire series before the lead up to this final season, and it is immensely rewatchable. That is another. Of course you did. Well, Frank. I, look, I, <laughs> I'm so jealous. It's, <laughs> I don't think I can rewatch it. I can't rewatch it. No. Really? No. No. I, you know, I honestly, I don't think I can because I, because, and, and this is not a, a disrespect to the writers, obviously, but like, I also think I can't think of another show. Now I haven't watched all that much TV, but I can't think of another show in which I really don't like any of the characters. Like <laughs> there are shows like the Sopranos where you're like, God, Tony Soprano is a complete monster. But like, I see, like, sometimes you're like, I like Tony. Like he's, he does mm-hmm. like this like by the end, I'm like, I, I really actually hate you all. Like I can't stand you, and like I don't want to look at you anymore. Like like, like like I, I I and I think it kind of broke the mold that way. I know I know from having written some pilots and whatever. Like the whole thing is like, well, you know, your main character, you, have, you know, they got to be a little bit likable, sort of. Like I feel like the, these guys, the, these folks who made success, they're like, yeah, you know, nobody has to be likable, likable at all, in any way at all, at all. Like like I, I like by the end, I'm like, I I really don't like any of you except for Ewan who stood up and told them all that they were all pieces of shit <laughs> and I was like Ewan I want to hang I want to get like a go to a pub with Ewan and get like you know drink beers with Ewan that, that's what I want to do and can and I James add Cromwell is the real deal James Cromwell James Cromwell like shows up at protests like gets arrested like at anti-fracking protests like good casting yes. call there love it truly have bumped into him on the street while you're like oh my god it's james cromwell protesting like oh my gosh <laughs> i i would have like i would have like a like it's funny i, I would be like a faint if i ever got to like meet james cromwell i would be such i would be like a fanboy like like people like that who like keep it real and, and who always yeah. you know great actors who use their select like those people and there's so few of them there are so few people who have who are in Hollywood who use their platform to do stuff like that like shout out to James Cromwell well Rivka and I and him share an alma mater so maybe we could hook that up for you at some point really oh yeah he went to he went to Carnegie Mellon oh yeah he did yeah incredible all right well we have to wrap for today uh david this was such a wonderful conversation thank you for making time on memorial day to talk with us about this um we really appreciate it thank you and i should i should mention everybody you should um pitch in and become a subscriber to waste our roiko's new newsletter uh it's called (laughs) i'm kidding Well, David, where where can our audience find you and your work if they so choose? Yes, levernews.com. You can find the lever there. Uh, obviously, we are in partnership with uh, Movies versus Capitalism. We have a whole other, uh, also our Levertime podcast. You can find that at uh, levertimepod.com. And you can find our reporting. And what we try to do with, at the lever is report on all the kinds of horrible people who are featured in um, shows like Succession, the real life horrible people. We try to be, by the way, have, can I make one more point about that? Did, did you notice? I also love this. Things that were not in this show. I, I have to just mention this. So the regular sort of workaday public, not in the show, right? You know what else is not in the show? It's a show about media 
and journalism isn't in the show. It's it's mm. not in the show. Like there's no, it, and what I love about this is like making a distinction between media and journalism, right? Like there's media. This show is about corporate media, the media world, and journalism does not exist in this world. Now, I do think obviously journalism does exist in the media world, a very small piece now, a smaller and smaller piece of media, but there is journalism there. But the fact that they make it, they made a, a decision, a point of not putting journalists in this show. And I think that was a brilliant decision because it really, because, because media without journalism is the garbage that we so often have. Now, that's a long way of saying the lever tries to do the opposite. The lever actually is journalism. <laughs> <laughs> so that's find us at levernews.com. <laughs> awesome. Uh, David, thank you again. Rivka, thank you. Yeah, this is great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you all so much for listening. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And if you've been enjoying the show, please consider becoming a supporter. Again, you can find all of that info at mvcpod.com. And a reminder, we'll be back in two weeks, but this is a great time to catch up on any of the movies or episodes you've missed. Thanks, everyone. Bye.